But what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks, um, actually um, a fair few weeks, uh, is what the power of God looks like when it's alive in our lives. Uh, It's a power that looks like serving others, loving others, living the way that Jesus taught us and ultimately was demonstrated by a God who laid down his life for us. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to be teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, what it looks like to live the way that Jesus taught us to live. And so we're going to start actually, uh, we did the Beatitudes last week and we'll actually uh, be revisiting parts of those throughout. And now we're going to jump to the end because I'm going to show you this morning where we're going before we go there over the next few weeks. And so this morning I'm going to be sharing from chapter 7, verse 12, I think. I didn't highlight it like I usually do, so now I've got to find it. Yep, so Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. And we're going to go all the way down to 28. Before I read it, this is the first of five sections of teaching recorded in the book of Matthew. And five sections of teaching is significant and the reason why the writer of this gospel chooses to condense and record Jesus' teachings in a group of, uh, of five sets is because the message we get is that this is the new instruction the new way to see what God's taught. The people of Israel to that point had an instruction that they uh, call the Torah, we call uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy, the first five books of our Bible. And those five books were seen as the, we call it the law in our language, more like instruction, the way. And this is the recorded instructions of Jesus that show actually what he wants us to understand the way to be. And so this morning, I'm going to open up a little bit of where we're going and why we're talking about what is the way. And we're going to finish at the end uh, with Nicole sharing communion with us. And so... Let's read from verse 12. Do to others whatever you would like them to do for you. I'm going to open this up in the version that I actually like. Um, But I'm going to use this one. I've got an NIV Bible here. So if you're familiar with that, you'll see. Or if that's your version. There's some things I want to point out as we go along. I've got to track it down because I did not put it. uh. I am having great difficulty because Tash is texting me from the back because she's great like that. Not today. All right. 
So we have this first verse that everyone probably knows really well. Do for others as you would have them do for you. This is the essence I have in the NIV of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. There's another place that Jesus says this is the essence or the summary or the the total of all that's taught in the law and the prophets where he says, love God and love others as I first loved you. This is what all the law and the prophets hangs on. So verse 13, enter through the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the road is easy that leads to destruction. This is, what I wanted to, this is why I wanted this version. It's what I have here. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. This is the NIV's lovely way of putting it. The highway to hell is broad and the gate is wide for any who choose that way. Interesting that it chooses to insert something that's actually not in the original at all, by the way. Um, so this is why the version I like says, wide and easy is the road that leads to destruction. These instructions are not a key to secure your eternal future. These are a key to open up salvation for the world. Yes, there is a promise of an eternal future that comes along with that. But don't get lost in waiting for something that's uh, after I die, when that happens, at the end of it all. This is Jesus teaching us how to live now. And the reason why I like this version, the, uh, the NRSV, is because it shows us that it's about how we can choose to avoid the way that leads to destruction. And when we choose to ignore these teachings that we're going to be going through over the next 12 weeks or so, we know, and if any of us have ever walked that path like I have, that it leads to destruction. For the gate is narrow and the road is difficult that leads to life and there are few that find it. We often talk about the narrow gate or the narrow path or the way that we have to choose. Don't pull that verse out of its context where it says do for others as you would have them do for you. See, we want to use that verse to define what other people have to look like, be like, act like, what's here, the, the, na- the narrow way, the way that leads to life is to do for others as you would have them do for you. And if you've ever tried to do that, you know that that's a narrow path and a hard road. Beware of false prophets who come in to you in sheep's clothing, but are inwardly ravenous wolves. You who you will know them by their fruits. Grapes gathered are grapes gathered from thorns, or are figs gathered from thistles? That's a rhetorical question, by the way. No is the answer. If in the same way every good tree bears good fruit, and the bad trees bear bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. 
every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will know them by their fruits. I'm going to come back to each of these parts, by the way, in little bits. But what, what I want you to see here is that this is still talking about the way that leads to life. This is talking about being aware of people that would come to impose a way that isn't the way that leads to life, that would try to redefine the law and bring more in. Jesus frequently speaks against those that would live to the letter of the law but ignore the heart of the law. And this entire passage from start to finish Uh, the Sermon on the Mount, is actually uh, in a three-part structure. We often read it in its two parts. So, you know, you've heard that the law says this, all sorts of things throughout this sermon. We come up to the parts where it talks about you've heard it said, an eye for an eye. Um, But then it says, you know, but I say, so Jesus says, but I say that anyone... Uh, so that an eye for an eye will end badly basically for everyone and then he comes around and says this is what I say to do now each of the instructions say the law says this and then Jesus gives us what we would think is like an even harder law to keep you've said uh, you've heard it said um, or it says in the law that uh, if you murder you'll be guilty But I say, if you have hate in your heart, then you have committed murder. So we look at that and we go, well, he's making the law harder, not easier, or um, not uh, making it something that we can actually live in our life. But what he's saying is, if we can achieve what the law says, even if we can live to the letter of the law, like the Pharisees that he goes on to speak about later, That's not even the fullness of the goodness of God, the heart of God. So even if you don't murder because the law says so, but you hate someone, you're still in a place where you're not who God has actually called us to be. We're not living the new life that he's led us into. We're not actually absolved of any guilt by following the letter of the law. So Jesus says, the law says this. You could do this, but still you'll be guilty. And then he says, in each part, he brings a new way, a way that is a way that leads to life. It's not any, it's not a different instruction. It's a way to approach following the instructions that he gave that leads to life, not condemnation, not destruction. And so where he says uh, to beware of false prophets, he's actually talking about being wary of those that would come to try to define, again, with those Pharisees and the things that were going on, trying to put all these legal instructions, actions that you could do to make yourself righteous in the eyes of people and ultimately God. He's saying this is a false teaching. You can't do it. But what you can do is do to others whatever you would have them do for you. 
and we begin to step into what he's teaching about here. And so it continues, it says, Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. This is an interesting one. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter on judgment day. Many will say, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons and perform many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who work in unlawlessness. This verse used to really throw me. Because I was always taught, if you call on the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. If you call on the name of the Lord, if you say, Jesus is Lord, that's it, that's what it takes. But he says, even those who prophesy in my name cast out demons and perform miracles, still might not make it. This, like, what? This totally undoes everything that I had thought until I came to understand that the whole point of everything leading up to this gospel, everything in the Old Testament, was to show us that all the ways that we thought we could get to God and get right with God were not sufficient. Our ways are not sufficient, but his ways are. All hangs on who Jesus is. All hangs on what he taught and the example he set. All hangs on that point of the cross and the resurrection and the new life that he leads us into. It's not about those who can say or perform, but those who do are actually those who believe. Only those who actually do the will of my Father. If we, once we come through, we're going to talk about everything right from the uh, how to pray, pray um, like this, your will be done on earth as in heaven. When we begin to pray his will be done, we begin to be formed in the things that are his will. We, we embrace the things that are his will. We ca- begin to carry the character that looks more like who he is. When we allow God to change us and allow that resurrection life that comes from... that We've, we've just gone through a whole... Um, teaching series right from Christmas through Lent and the time that represents the time in the wilderness to the Easter season, death and resurrection. And now we're looking at what it looks like to live. And the reason and what we've called this series is walking in the resurrection. That's kind of a strange title to throw out there for people who don't know what um, sounds something maybe like a, um, a video game with some sort of like uh, undead kind of thing going on. If you had no idea what this Bible says about resurrection, that's going to sound pretty strange. But what we're talking about is the life that Jesus spoke about, the hope that we see revealed in who he is. So he says that I came not to abolish, but to fulfill all that has been commanded. So it's not doing away with the law, 
It's not doing away with the instruction. It's actually coming to show us by fulfilling it, by embodying it, and then making it possible for us to begin to walk in it. He came to fulfill everything that was talked about. I wonder what the conversation will be like for those who knew about him but never knew him. And I always thought that was, oh, those who don't go to church, those who don't, you know, that's, that was where, but to not know him we're also shown through the Old Testament, through uh, the entire conversation is between God and Israel where they do one thing and God says, do you even know who I am? The entire of the prophets are saying, this is who I am. I am a God of justice. I am a God of peace. I am a God that loves and includes. I am a God, like over and over again, the, the God that responds to the needs of the poor, the God that heals the brokenhearted, the whole of like Isaiah, you only have to open up to see the heart of God crying out to his people about who he is and saying, but you haven't known me. That's what this is speaking to. Not about us being able to judge each other and say you're in and you're out. He's saying it's a desperate cry from the heart of God to recognize who he is, to seek him, to actually look into who Jesus is, everything that he taught, and try as people who've chosen to be followers of Jesus to begin to walk in the teachings of Jesus. And so that's what we're going to walk through. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is like a person who builds a house on a solid rock and when the rains come and the torrents and the floodwaters rise, the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on a solid rock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish like the person who builds a house on the sand. When the rains and floods come, winds beat against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. And Jesus had, when Jesus had finished these sayings, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. Again, the framing of this entire conversation is showing that there's one group that have tried to build on a foundation that isn't who Jesus is. But he's come to show us what the foundation is and he ultimately shows that in the way that he lays down his life. You can jump into Luke and look at the conversation where the, the disciples are arguing over who's the greatest and he says, the greatest of you will be the servant of all, and he's talking about himself, and then he says that I have come not to be served, but to be a servant. He, it's the upside-down kingdom that doesn't make sense to the world. This is the new 
life that we live in. This is the resurrection life that we walk in. So when the law says one thing, it's kind of like, if we were to paraphrase it, it'd be like, the law said this, but you missed the point. You might tick the box, but you failed the test. So here is how to do it. Love God and love people. Do for others what you would like them to do for you. I follow um, a CEO of an organization called ASRC on probably every social media platform, to be honest. But the, um, on his Twitter, he posted a comment on the outcome of a s- survey of government departments in Australia. Uh, and this survey was looking at what um, the statistics of people, uh, so of women in leadership and uh, people of colour. So he runs an, uh, in, uh, a mentoring institution for women, but particularly women of diverse backgrounds um, and uh, for business and, uh, and leadership. And so this is of particular interest, I guess. So he's looked at the stats and out of close to 500 CEOs, managers, um, the vice chancellors of uh, like tertiary education institutions, out of nearly 500, 11 were women and even less were people of diverse backgrounds. And when I saw that statistic, I wasn't shocked or, you know, surprised at all. But I realised what I was surprised by was my own attitude. Because I think the only way we are going to be shocked by a statistic like that is if we truly recognise that each one of us is created equal. The only way we're shocked by a statistic that says that people of certain backgrounds, genders or anything else are less likely to make it into leadership roles is if we truly believe we all probably have, you know, if you were to take into account the average of populations and differences in every individual, that there should be no difference unless there's a structure or a system in place that imposes that. So we will not be surprised if women don't make it into leadership roles if we think that inherently women are probably less able. We might rationalise the fact that there's less women CEOs because there might be, you know, characteristics about being a woman that makes you less... uh, able to lead well. (laughs) Trust me, as someone who does lead, I've heard them all. And if we truly are to recognise that every person is created with the image of God, like we sang this morning, I am a child of God, 
that every person sitting in this room has the same inherent value as myself, as yourself, than to do for others as we would have others do for us becomes a challenge not of charity but of equality. Do for others as you would have them do for you isn't a pious step of I'm going to do this ultimate sacrifice and treat these people over here like I would like to be treated. It's recognising that others actually deserve the same treatment that I get. It's recognising that others deserve the same opportunity, the same recognition, the same pay grade, the same legal consequences. It's desiring for others the same safety, the same life, the same health, the same life expectancy as I have. Do for others as you would have them do for you recognises that every person is a child of God. And we recognise that every person is a child of God and we recognise who we are as one, who we are as the church and who we are as humanity. Because what is more, it's interesting that we call things humane. And what is more human than to recognise and care for another person. To desire for them the same as you have. It puts aside everything that's not the nature of God in us. It's the resurrection life. It's the washing away of all that leads to death because it's the things in us that aren't of God. It's the things that are in us that aren't the character of God that say that we're better than others or that we're more important or that we deserve better opportunities or because of where we happen to luck out and be born that we should have a safe place to live with no care for where others do. It's the character of God in us that calls us to recognise the value of the other. And so we're going to look over the next 12 weeks at the instructions of Jesus that lead us into a place of being able to do that better. And so as I invite the band this morning, I'm going to ask, would you take a moment to consider? Because maybe there was a time where you were asked, will you accept Jesus into your heart? Do you want to be saved? Do you want to have eternal life? And you accepted Jesus, but maybe you were never asked, will you follow Jesus? Or maybe you were asked so long ago that things creep in and you recognize things in your own life that aren't following, aren't submitted, aren't repentant, and know that you need to put those things aside again. 
So I'm going to ask every person to close their eyes this morning. From December to this morning, we've spoken of the hope that's found in Jesus. The message that God steps into our world to show us who he is. That he walks with us, meets us in our place of suffering, and calls us to walk through wilderness times and encounter a resurrection life in places that often feel like death we know this is good news this is good news for us it's good news for the world It's good news for those who we meet. It's good news for those who will serve, who will lead, who will work with, who will live next door to, or it should be. Maybe it isn't. Maybe the way that you've spoken to others or viewed others, maybe you, like me, rationalised away inequalities because well maybe that's just how it is the challenge this morning is to recognise that that's not how it should be that if we're called to walk in resurrection life, the challenge this morning is, will you follow Jesus? Will you decide this morning to step into learning and growing in all the things that he taught about making the world right? That it's not about living to the letter of a law, but it's about loving. Ultimately, the way that he loves us. I'm going to pray a prayer this morning. It's from, actually, the book of common prayer it's an Anglican I love the richness that comes from drawing on different traditions and things people can say in a way so much better than I could when I came across this in one of the books I was writing um, an assignment uh, it was a reference but I think it's the cry of the church to see what we've been talking about here this morning. And if you know this morning that you need to commit to following Jesus, if you want to make a commitment to embrace these teachings over the next few weeks that we're going to talk about them, 
then pray along with me. Recognize it in your heart. Ask God to lead you into it, empower you by the Holy Spirit to be able to live it. Oh God, you have made of one blood all the peoples of the earth and sent your blessed Son to preach to those who are far off and those who are near. Grant that people everywhere may seek after you and find you. Bring the nations into your fold and pour out your Spirit upon all flesh and hasten the coming of your kingdom through Jesus for all. Lord, by your Spirit this morning, we confess that we've not always viewed others the way that you see them. That we so often place ourselves above others for no reason at all, just because it seems to be the human nature to be self-absorbed, Lord, but let us be absorbed by your word. Lord, we confess that for even other reasons we've placed ourselves above others. And we repent this morning and ask you to teach us your way. Lord, we want to put others first. Or at least try. Lord, we want to be followers of you and your word. Not live to a law, but to love like you loved us. Lord, help us to do that. Help us to continue to decide to do that on a daily basis and help us to encourage and uplift each other in the process of doing that as your church. Help us as the church to lead the way. Not to be the ones that are behind, not to be the ones that people look at wondering when we're going to love the way that you said that we should love God, but that we would lead the way in our communities so that people would recognize who you are, that no one would face that conversation saying or having to recognize that they never knew who you were. Lord, let us as your people represent who you are. Lead us, guide us. ask Nicole to come and share communion with us. Hi everyone. Um, So for those that don't know me, uh, my name is Nicole. I'm a Wiradjuri woman. Uh, My mob come from a town um, just uh, near Parks or Condoblin, which is like western New South Wales. 
Um, I would just like to acknowledge the custodians of the land with which we meet to worship today, um, the Wajak people, and pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging and acknowledge all other Indigenous people in this room today. So as you've just heard from that introduction, um, country is really important. Um, it's really important to me as an Aboriginal person to acknowledge, as well as it's really important for all of you and all other non-Indigenous people to do an acknowledgement. Um, it is important for us to all recognise that we are guests here on this land. An acknowledgement of country is about acknowledging the diverse groups of people from over 300 nations with over 600 dialects of language, the world's oldest living culture. An acknowledgement of country is an expression of respect to the people and to God. This acknowledgement is our prayer. It is a prayer of thanks to the Creator for placing Aboriginal people here as his custodians. And we need to give thanks to God for that. I recently had the privilege of attending an Aboriginal Christian conference um, called Grass Tree Gathering. It was an amazing opportunity to come together and be around many inspiring people who each had a story to share of how God had spoken to them. I was really excited and I had this huge drive to return and change the world, as we all do, right? Um, I realised a couple of weeks ago that there was a bit of a problem. I wasn't planning on meeting people at the table in this journey. I wasn't prepared to change with the world. Before I go any further with this explanation, I just wanted to um, bring you some context about my life and what I experience. I'm quite proud of being Aboriginal and what that represents, but that has not come with its hardships. Every day I look in the mirror and I'm reminded that my white skin represents the genocide of my people. It represents the displacement and dysfunction of our communities. Every day I open my mouth to tell people I'm Aboriginal and my identity is questioned. Usually I have to draw a family tree or like pull out my Aboriginality certificate that I had to get. Um, or I have to show photos of you know, where the black people in my family come from. Um, and even still people will remark, yeah, you're not really that Aboriginal though, are you? Not like full Aboriginal. Or you're one of those good Aboriginals, not one of them Aboriginals I saw boozing up on the street last night. Um, so my children are really proud of who they are as well. Um, but they are also beginning to realise the identity crisis that comes with being Aboriginal. Coming home, they're constantly checking that they're really truly Aboriginal with me. Um, at the age of seven and ten, my children have to explain why their skin is white. They have to talk about culture and Aboriginal identity. At seven and ten, I'm 34, I don't even know my identity. I, I don't know about anybody else, but I'm still struggling with the answers to these questions. This is an isolated story. I still remember as a child um, being called a liar by my teacher in front of other, uh, uh, all my other classmates um, because I'd said I was Aboriginal. I work in a hospital um, in an uh, Aboriginal identified role. Um, I act as a, an advocate for Indigenous people. 
I have frequently witnessed babies fresh from their mother's wombs, ripped from their mother's arms for no reasons, none at all. Or having to justify having a child to DCP. These mothers have their house prepared for their babies. Only to have them taken from them. Our communities and, and extended families can care for these children. We are not being given the chance or the opportunity. There are so many stories I can share, but I'm attempting to briefly paint a picture of what I witness and experience every day. I come to this church just like so many of you, empty, begging God to fill me up again, over and over again, so that every day I can relive this journey with the rest of my Indigenous community. We are clinging to Jesus. He is the one who was carrying us through. So when I came back from this conference, Grass Tree Gathering, um, I wanted to see some changes. I wanted to be able to see and hear more Aboriginal people's voices at the front. I wanted to know that God had touched them too. I wanted all of you to learn about country and colonisation and why that is important on our journey with God. But I wanted you to do it all while I sat back, pointing and directing, obviously holier than all of you. Um, I had forgotten about my role in this. The anger and bitterness and the resentment that I feel for so many non-Indigenous people. How can I expect you to want to hear my story and the story of those in my community if I'm not willing to recognise that God loves white people too? How can I expect you to love my people and my community if I cannot love you? In all of this, I am reminded of how much I need God just as much as any of you. How sometimes even when the sun is shining so bright, I can still get blinded. So I want to invite you all to come on this journey with me because every day I have to forgive. Every day, while knocked down, Aboriginal people are forgiving. We are already kneeling at the cross. Right now, I can't afford you to have feelings of guilt or feelings of being overwhelmed by this story. This is about a relationship together because we all play a role in this. This is what Grass Tree Gathering was about. Coming together, grieving, repenting and praying. And we did all this with community. Plus, we did this with local Christian communities. If the local Christian community can do this, then I want to invite Cornerstone to do this as well. Let us walk this path so that we may learn from each other while giving thanks to God for bringing us together. I spoke to my friend about what I was going to talk about today and, and Isaiah chapter, chapter 25 came to his mind. For God will destroy in this mountain the face of the covering cast over all people and the veil that is spread over nations. He shall wallow up death in victory and the Lord God will wipe away tears from off all faces and the rebuke of his people shall he take away from off all of the earth. For the Lord God has spoken it. Finally, while at the conference, a brother of mine, uh, Wiradjuri brother, um, spoke about non-Indigenous people, not as allies, but as accomplices. As an accomplice, you can't bow out at any moment. You're there being arrested with us. 
So I want to invite you to be Jesus' accomplices and be crucified together, to take up that cross and, and, and live this journey with me. So this is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love God and for those who want to love God more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little, you who have been here often and you who have come for the first time, you who have tried to follow Jesus, you who have failed in following Jesus and you who have just decided to follow Jesus for the first time, come, let nothing keep you from love's feast. Let nothing empty this table of its power. Let judgment behind, leave judgment behind and receive mercy. Leave indifference behind and recognise God's family. Leave now if necessary and go and be a forgiver. Then run back. Because it is the Lord who invites you. It is God's will that those who desire Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit should encounter him here. So come. So as we go out, we're just going to read our benediction that comes from Isaiah 61. And it says, Church, we have come as we are, but by His grace we are sent out not the same. For in this place, the Spirit that anointed Christ has been poured out on us. He has exchanged a crown of beauty for our ashes, the oil of joy for our sorrow, a garment of praise for our spirit of despair. He has spoken over us a new name, Oaks of Integrity, and prophesied we will grow into a canopy of His beauty to bless and rebuild this city in His unfailing, nonviolent love. So go, broadcast good news for the poor, bind up the brokenhearted, prophesy freedom for captives, let the blind see, set free the oppressed, live jubilee and forgive, blessing our enemies, because Christ has shut the book on vengeance. Go now in his liberating grace that pardons and empowers sinners like us to participate in God's kingdom of mercy. And all of God's people said, Amen.